Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your co-host, Matt Zemek, along with Saqib Ali and Karen Helf, a, a freelance writer and, and tennis journalist who has been helping us with our spring special podcast series on how tennis can reinvent itself and rethink some of its methods in this pandemic during this downtime to uh, find stronger financial footing and more specifically provide more financial support for lower ranked players so that when tennis does restart, uh, the sport will be fortified for more tennis professionals uh, compared to how it was before the pandemic. So Karen Health, welcome back and we'll let you introduce our next guest on the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Thank you. So today we're going to travel from London to Miami. We've got our first guest from London, and then we'll be bringing on a Miami guest later. Um, but before I, I get into introducing our guest, who is great, I just wanted to talk briefly about <clears throat> my own aspect to this situation, because I, I, I've thought of it, and I've had people kind of ask me, what do you want? Um, and, you know, the biggest thing is I want to see a group of people that are working extremely hard and battling out on the court and on practice courts every day, get a fair shake. That's all I'm looking for. And I want to see the sport of tennis thrive. That's, that's what's in it for me. And it's simply because I've always been this person that when I see something that I don't feel is right, it's really hard for me to just sit and watch a train wreck without doing something. Um, so that's just kind of been who I've always been. Um, and now through this effort, I've been meeting a series of tremendous people who align with very much the same thought, um, the same goals and, and desires. So today I want to introduce Mark Jeffrey from London. Uh, Mark self-describes himself as a man of ongoing curiosity. <laughs> so with that said, Mark, um, please you know, feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and how you got involved with tennis. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. It's, and it's a great, great subject for the podcast. So I you know, reach out and applaud Tennis with an Accent because it's a great initiative. Um, and it's probably got less glory and less sled, but it's got more impact and uh, legacy. Uh, so, yes, with the QRC, I have no idea where that came from. Um, I have a military background. I was trained at Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. I was in the Army as an officer for 12 years. Uh, we only have lineage. My dad was in the in the Army as well. And I'm not sure whether they train curiosity there or, or not, actually. Um, so I've been playing tennis since the age of four, I, I gather. Cra small crowds used to gather thinking this is the next Wimbledon champion they're watching uh, and been playing it ever since so 63 years playing it and still addicted and passionate about the sport and we connected after the article that uh, was published through Tennis with an Accent basically the cost of doing nothing and since then Mark you and I have had a number of dialogues on the subject of what tennis needs to do the kinds of things that need I won't say a fix but a change and potential opportunities 
that, of course, are on the table now because of the pause and play. So one of the things that we've talked about is a summit that you want to put together and are actively putting together today. So why don't you introduce that a bit and, and tell us a little bit more about that, what it is, why you're doing it, etc. Yeah. Um, well, it's called Between the White Lines, first of all. And the tagline is Come Join the Revolution. And it just occurred to me, first of all, you know, tennis is a lonely sport. When you cross the white lines, you know, it's, it is down to you, your gladiators out there. Djokovic came out with a line a little while ago that says, when we play on our courts, it feels like arenas and with a crowd chanting your name, you feel as though you're fighting the animals and all that stuff. And I think for, <laughs> unless I'm the only barking mad one here, for all of us around the world, in any court with or without any spectators we kind of feel like gladiators ourselves yeah i can really relate to that right um so it just occurred to myself and a few other people you know one day is that there seems to be an ever clearer demarcation line between the business of sport the entertainment side the fans the eyeballs the international televised events and all that, you know, revenue and sponsorship and entertainment and hospitality and the sport of tennis, which Google and Facebook will call it the long tail. OK, so it's the same thing. Google, Facebook, uh, Grand Slams, Labour Cup, ATP, Davis Cup. Um, they're all focused on that like five percent that generates all the revenue. And the remaining 95%, these, these are my words, and I'm sure it's not the truth, is like, God, there's such a lot of people, you know, they just suck our time and energy and cash. They're irritating. They don't help our bottom line. So we have the whole sport of tennis divided, if you like, between the grassroots and growth, growth in participation and the revenue that comes with the growth in participation. Uh, and those lonely souls on the path of getting as high as they can up the ratings and earning some cash out of being a professional tennis player. And it seems to us that the sport of tennis isn't really nurtured, loved, embraced, encouraged, rightly or wrongly. Uh, but that's our view. So the, the whole aim of Between the White Lines is for the long tail, the sport of tennis, to increasingly be in charge of its own destiny, have you know new new ideas, new structures, new funding. So we are in control of the sport of tennis and uh, wean everybody off, if you like, the suckling teat of grants from you know the institutions and the the power of seven. That's the whole point of it. Can you just for a minute explain what you mean by the power of seven? Because I don't think oh, everyone gets that reference. No, no I'm sure they don't. Um, so the power of seven is the four Grand Slams, the ATP, the WTA and the ITF. And they're the power of seven. And by and large, you know, they all have their international televised event where absolutely to be encouraged you know, huge revenues are generated. And now the question is, well, how is that pie cut? And how much of it 
dribbles down to the sport of tennis. And I would add to that, you know, obviously they're putting up the investment money, right? They're building the stadiums, maintaining the grounds, etc. So, you know, obviously, sure, make a profit. You know, you deserve to because there is a lot of work that goes into that. But what's what's a? I don't even want to use fair because life isn't fair. Um, well, but you what, is, have what is what is that, equitable, right? What is equitable? What is even ethical in terms of profit sharing with okay. the players? Well, fair and equitable depends upon who's defining it. Right. And you would all have your own lens that looks through it and go, well, I think that's fair. Um, but if you're looking through another lens, you go, well, that's not fair. And I'm sure everybody, I think, is ethically looking through the lens from their point of view as to what is fair. And you rightly say, you know, loads of investment, uh, short, medium and long term goes into the Grand Slams and the, you know, the ATPs and the Davis Cup, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I know, you know, one or two people... Uh, for instance, uh, the, the chairman of the All, All England Club and his wife are as passionate about the game as I am and have been playing it for as long as I have. And I'm sure they are as much plugged into you know, what we're talking about today than, than anybody else. Um, but I still, what they do and how they cut it up and what is fair and equitable is down to them. And I have no knowledge and I have no input. The only thing we're looking at is how does how does it help support and nourish those you know world class players world class let's not be world class players that are way down the pecking order and doing the futures and the challenges and trying to make their way up and earn cash how are they nurtured and the answer is they're not nurtured right now in fact i would argue that whilst their chances of making it are, you know, somewhere between Bob and no hope. The powers to be have just made it difficult. Like, oh, okay, well done. Put this pack on your back, add another brick. Um, and they seem to be a source of revenue for them rather than how can we help you? How can we cut our costs? How can we, how can we train you for life after tennis? How can we do various things on your lonely journey? And it doesn't seem that anything's been given just seems to be taken. That And that's them. And at the grassroots, um, Javier will have all the statistics, and I'm sure there, yes. are a few, there are a few countries bucking the trend, but by and large, year on year, tennis is a declining sport at uh, grassroots level. And, and, and post-COVID, tennis could be, for a variety of reasons, one of the sports that can really benefit and grow. And if nobody in the power of seven is wanting to do this, then we need to do our own initiative and gather up, you know, the hundreds of thousands of volunteers and tennis coaches and players and clubs and public courts globally and take matters into our own, own hands. Because right now, I think we're all we've been conditioned, to use my phrase again, of sucking off the teat of grants whereupon we could do it all ourselves if each if each tennis club or each coach community by community increased their numbers by say 10 or 20 percent when you add it up that would be huge and with numbers of participation comes revenue 
Yeah, and you know, I was thinking a bit last night, and and I spoke with Sofia Shapatova uh, from the country of Georgia on the last podcast, and that'll be released soon. You know, she made the comment in my country there are probably five tennis courts. Oh, my goodness. So the fact that she even plays the game is somewhat miraculous in the first place. And I should ask her, how did you find your way onto a tennis court, given that statistic? And again, I'm not saying it's 100% correct, but, you know, she's lived there. She's grown up there, right? So where does the next Halep, Ostapenko, or Sabalenka come from? You know, don't we want those those players that come from countries like Latvia, you know, yeah. um, champions come from anywhere. They don't just come from the wealthy nations of Europe, United States, and Canada. Um, although yeah. the the opportunity for players from those countries is greater because the resources are better. There are wealthier countries, and in some respects, there are federations that support and do nurture their own. Right, the Spanish Tennis Federation is quite good. There's a reason why they pose a pretty strong field on a regular basis, right? Um, and no, it's not fair, and it's probably never going to be fair in that respect. But once you earn your place into professional tennis, shouldn't there be some level of ground uh, source equity? Equity, to allow exactly. you to participate in your profession. Yeah, because you've either got to be sorry. Yeah, that's the thing that I think is not recognized. Is It's all well and good to be four or five and pick up a racket and love hitting and get out there and play. It's a whole other thing when you say, okay, you know what? I love the sport. I've worked so hard. I've dedicated you know, the first 15 or 16 years of my life to it. And now I'm going to choose to make this my profession. Ergo, I'm going to work really hard to make a living in this profession. And that's not happening for too many of the participants. There's no living in their profession. No, no, there there isn't any living. And obviously, you know, some people are coming from you know quite wealthy families and that's great mm-hmm. but most people if you haven't got that you know just get into debt and live cheek by jowl day by day and that's all right i always say this is why you see so many parent coaches right um you know agatha's yeah. father right or wrong in his methods you know was a big influence um you know mr williams and and uh, their mother or scene you know Huge, yeah. right? Because they knew how to bring their kids up. They knew how to motivate them. They gave them the discipline. They gave them the work ethic. And look what they gave tennis, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Serena and Venus. Yeah. <laughs> you can't so deny think, that. No. And I think you just got to compare, say, the top 500, you know, which are world class. You know, meant decades ago. I was the tournament director of the Benson Hedges Tennis Championships in Wembley with McEnroe and Connors and those others. And I went to the qualifying and the qualifying standard blew me away. I thought nobody could be better than this. Uh, and every round, you know, everybody got thrashed, you know, 6162, You know, the, the standard is just so amazing. And I'm sure today it is much more amazing than it was a few decades ago. So if you compare the world-classness 
of somebody down to 500 and compare that to a football, soccer player playing, you know, in a not necessarily UK, but European second or third division, like, you know, a, a good journeyman, but they're not world class. They earn a, a very decent wage. The tennis player, unless you're in probably the top 100, is not. And it's a very binary sport, isn't it? Like everybody's fighting for literally for your lunch. It's a binary sport. Zero one, loss, win. You get no points and no nothing for good effort and trying. Even though that might be a four-hour effort. Yeah. And you lost, and you won more points, but you lost the match. Yeah. And you don't even get, thank you, you don't get cash, you don't get something in your bank account. It's just on to the next one. That can't be right when you compare it to other sports where two, three, four layers down, you're earning a decent income. All right. So let's let's move on from pointing out, I will say, what are hopefully becoming the obvious flaws. What do we do, right? Because nothing changes without action. And when I say yeah. we, it's a global question. Players, okay. the 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 institution of seven that you mentioned, um, you and I, fans, organizers, you name it. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, that is that is the reason for Between the White Lines, which is a virtual summit going to be staged on August 28th and August the 29th. Uh, because it, it gives a platform, and the word is platform, for the sport of tennis to come together to articulate problems and solve them and take action. And without a platform, without a focal point, so yes, it's two days, but there will be a lot of activity, promotional activity, media activity, networking, sharing of ideas leading up to the two days, and after the two days, you know, this is action time. This is not come for two days in a whinge, feel good and go. This is sharing best practice. Somebody's got a great idea. It works. Share it. And, and without a platform, you're just left with noise on Instagram and uh, Facebook groups, etc. It's just noise. Uh, and an American general on something else actually described it as the dogs bark and the caravan moves on. And that is what I think it is with the power seven. There's noise, but the dogs bark and we just crack on. Like the ITF uh, new rules from a large survey that nobody seemed to have participated in to create the new rules of the pathway from a futures to challenger and upwards. Lots of barking, reluctantly, grudgingly, at the end, some modifications were made. There you go, another another passionate monologue, Karen. That's right. So, so the point of the summit, as you said, is the platform. Give give a voice, or not. I you know I keep Meghan Markle keeps resonating in my head, lover or, or not, um, about women. People say women need a voice. No, women have a voice, and they need to be encouraged to use it. So in this case, players have a voice, 
They need to be supported and encouraged to use it. And yeah. that is one area where I do see change, and I, I pointed this out previously. You know, you have Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal supporting merging the HP and WTA. Whether or not that's a great idea, we can debate, and we can talk about that later. But if they're at least willing to lend their voices and know they don't get credit for that being their original idea, and I don't think that was their intent, but if they're willing to throw their hat in the ring and lend their platform and their star power behind some sort of change for the better, that's a great thing. If their peers who are down below and the ones that are suffering are not willing to latch onto that and say, okay, you're throwing me a life raft, but if I don't grab onto it, there's a, per a certain amount of shame on me because nobody's going to give you anything. You have to take it. And you don't get what you deserve in life. Unfortunately, in the business world, you get what you negotiate. So if yeah. you're not willing to step up and negotiate on your own behalf, no one will do it for you. You might get lucky and find a good-hearted person that has good intentions, but at the end of the day, nobody should or will care more about your own welfare than you. And yeah. that's not greedy. That's not self-serving. That's just reality. Yeah. Sun Tzu, a little quote from Sun Tzu, says, know yourself and you'll never be defeated. Which means like understanding it. your strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, and that is... That is right down to the grassroots and those uh, future champions coming up. Um, but on that so question... Let me stop you here real quick, though. So okay. if somebody wants to participate in the summit, a player, yeah. coach, or whatever, what do they need to do? Oh, very good. Very good. So first of all, we've got two days. One day, uh, led by Javier Pelanc, who is on soon, <laughs> is focused entirely on the growth and the game. Participation and the revenue that comes with that. Uh, and he has his own uh, good ideas on how that can happen. But we will be reaching out, and here is an opportunity, we will be reaching out for people globally that are doing great things in their community, which is growing the game. And we would wish them to be in contact with us. And we will have each day a keynote speaker domain experts speaking on specific topics but always sharing success and a proven track record so if anybody is out there which there will be loads of people globally doing great stuff here's an opportunity to come and share what works with others to grow the game and we and we know on participation whether you are you know a, a, a child a junior you could join the game particularly for post-covid and the world we're entering into to train your humanity yourself at the same time as training tennis. And right through to the plus 65, plus 75, plus 80s, tennis is also a great game for longevity of life or even you know, mitigating it in some way. So in from the entire spectrum, from children through to um, seniors, let me call it that, there will be innovations going on globally 
and here is the opportunity to have a platform and share it. Okay. So would they email you? Would they, I mean, uh, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. No, at the moment, yes, please uh, email me. Um, and you can be found online on LinkedIn, and that's Mark, and it's spelled Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. Well done, you, right? yes. Yeah, okay. And it's mark at bigpointplayer.com, which is an easy thing to remember. Uh, and if there's a, del- a deluge, just be patient with me, and we'll come back to you. It just might not be instantly. Uh, yep. And then and the then second something- day- Go ahead, Mark, sorry. So on the second day, and, and this figure might sound amazing at first but the second day is dedicated to the hundred thousand people starting off around the world at under 12s and under 14s harboring a dream of being the best that they can be getting ratings and making some money out of the sport and obviously a hundred thousand gets quickly culled to ten thousand and ten thousand to one thousand and then you're not even on the foothills of the andes yet to go forward so Mm -hmm. with those people and that's a mass amount of people worldwide there's also the similar focus on well what are the problems what are the solutions um there are crowdfunding uh how can we reduce costs for these people because reducing costs is just the same as adding more money to your pocket so again number the day number two focused on that led by Noel White, who has a crowdfunding platform for exactly this. And we are reaching out for wise, young, but wise people that are on the futures or on the challenger, rated and see the problem and have a passion to solve the problem, not necessarily for themselves, but for others that come behind them. And with those, we will have the right topics and we'll get the right speakers. And again, we'll have a great second day. And I know one thing you and I have spoken about is additionally finding a good online collaboration tool that will allow anyone that wants to participate to share ideas, gather information, network, make contacts. So that's something that Yep. Uh, hopefully I can help you with and we can figure out what that can be, but we want to make it open and accessible to everybody and something that continues to live beyond the summit yep. so that those action steps can happen and people can find support and encouragement to take their own steps yep. and continue to move things forward. Yeah, because we're Mark, very Mark, fragmented, Mark. aren't we? Very, very fragmented. Yeah, Mark, can I just, I want to step in and ask one particular question on the heels of what both of you and Karen are talking about. Uh, in terms of solving this puzzle of empowerment for more and more tennis players, those who are lower ranked and need more of a financial foothold right now, which, which is biggest? I mean, and maybe the answer is they're all equally important, but maybe you see one as being more important than the other. Uh, inspiration, you know, being encouraged enough and optimistic enough to to think that progress is possible that's one part second access you know being able to use technology use resources to be involved in formulating the plan and then third structure you know finding the specific ideas that might unlock 
progress in ways that you know not as good ideas might fail to do. So inspiration, access, structure. How do you rate those three things in terms of finding the solutions that you're looking for? Okay. I don't think anybody's lacking in inspiration. <laughs> they might be addicted. They might need counseling to come off the addiction, but they're not lacking in inspiration and dream and vision. I think structure and systems. So you didn't mention systems, but I would put systems, process, alongside structure. Because if we can have, through the platform, starting humbly, but growing year after year, a structure for passionate amateur tennis players worldwide, and you can quiz Javier on his Tennis Republic and Tennis Passport idea, if he wishes to show up, uh, say that. Um, so without, without structure and without system, it will continue to be fragmented. And you can have access and you can have inspiration, but it's all going to, just like on the tennis court, it's all going to, you know, it's all going to disappear. So structure and process are the most important things. And to add, if I may, part of structure is leadership. And the tricky yeah. part is it's got to be the, light, the right leadership, right? There's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork with ideas, myself and you included, yep. um, at some point, the players have to decide who is a credible leader, who is demonstrating integrity, is demonstrating the ability to be a good partner, a partner who's offering equity, a partner that wants to grow the sport and has actionable plans to move it in that direction and also looking at history and who historically has not been such a great partner and should you continue to place trust okay. and power in the hands of somebody who has already demonstrated that they're not capable of Very taking good. that path. Actions, not words. Mm -hmm. uh, very good point. Yeah, so I mean, I've been in touch with some of the people on the challenge and future tours and you know my eyes like that can't be the, that can't be the truth so they go into resort hotels and they're charged in this particular instance 65 dollars a night and then they speak to the tourists who have been charged 35 dollars a night they go and do their battle uh and people are betting on their outcome and even if you win but you didn't win in straight sets you might open up your phone and there's there's vile abuse on the phone. And yeah. they, don't, they don't earn any money from this. Again, it seems as though people are just seeing them as a cash cow. How, what can we earn on the sweat of your back without giving anything back or supporting? It just doesn't seem fair and equitable, does it? Right. And the reality is everyone earns money off the sweat of these players everyone earns money off their backs because there's nothing without them and th and that's where the failure to be equitable and acknowledging their contribution to everyone's income everyone's livelihood is just a, again a huge failure and i feel like we're kind of harping on the, the dead horse at this point so um let's go back, back to the long tail <laughs> So the summit is an opportunity. I want to ask you about crowdfunding. Do you see crowdfunding as a truly viable way to solve this? 
it is one tool. It is one structure. No, it is no that is leading on this. Mm-hmm. And like everybody else, why is he involved? Well, he has a son that is very talented and is starting off the journey. And he is a businessman that is looking at it and going, this can't be, this can't be right, this, this can't it. be true. Why would anybody wish their children to start the journey? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And I yeah. love this sport. So crowdfunding yeah. is, is, you know, is an opportunity. Um, other people, much wealthier as the Power Seven, may have large, you know, assets and they could probably bequeath some of those assets, still own the assets, but the revenue that might spins off it might also come and help. So Maybe just the interest. Things. Just the interest, like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's still crumbs off your table, but at least these are bigger crumbs. Mm-hmm. So there are a whole, there's a whole, when we get out there and find out, there will be all sorts of ideas. Okay, so the summit is the first really big action step. And for anyone listening that wants to participate, that wants to start being part of an action step, whether you go through the Between the Lines initiative or not, you still could join and potentially form relationships with people that could help you to get what you want and move things in the direction that you would like to see it. So um, that's an open invitation to participate. But if you don't participate, just like voting, you kind of don't have any right to complain. And as you say, there will be networking. We will have this platform afterwards. Um, Yeah, I traveled all around the world playing. Go ahead, finish that. No, I travel, I have traveled, you know, many parts of the world to play tennis, and it is all great. And what you find out is, regardless of anything, age, nationality, creed, it seems to be that your common, if you like, nationality is, is tennis. We just get on so well. Exactly. Um, but we're so fragmented. As, as, a, as an army of ants, we, we, have no, we have no focal point, no platform. Okay, so between the white lines will be one of, I'm sure, many ways yep. to accomplish some of these things. Yeah, right, we'll so I just want to throw out—I just want to throw out kind of some some food for thought questions. So I'm curious about your thoughts on a combined WTA ATP organization. Would it work? Okay. Is it a good idea? Why? Why not? Okay. Whatever you think. Nice easy question. So my first thing to say, uh, two things to say. One is. I'm pretty ignorant because I'm distanced from it all. Uh, and the strength that we have is being distant, so we might have more perceptive. Um, and secondly, it'd be wrong to say I don't care, but I'm more interested in how a potential merger benefits the sport of tennis. So I have kind of three things. That one is jaundice, cynical, but it seems to be, particularly in non-profits, that they start with very laudable objectives, but then, and not just tennis, it's worldwide, the aim of the organization is to keep the organization going. First thing. So you've got two organizations. Is there commonality? And then the second big question to ask is, what is, what is the common shared objective that them coming together will make that objective happen. And from our point of view, we're interested in legacy 
of passing the baton over for the sport of tennis. We're not interested in short-term objectives for people that are passing through and after two years, three years, five years, they're on their way. They don't have the right, in my opinion, to cut a deal up that doesn't provide for the legacy of the sport when they passed on. So shared objectives, has anybody asked? I don't know. What are our shared objectives of coming together and why does coming together help make it happen for the benefit of the sport? Right. I mean, what I see is the bigger the voice, probably the more leverage you're going to have. Um, do I think you go back to structure and system? The WTA yep. and ATP are part of the existing structure and system that runs tennis. So is it the right idea right now, perhaps without a clear goal of what the shared goal is, to, to break what is until we know where we're trying to steer the ship? The yeah, other... Sorry, but perhaps they'll spend time and energy on focus on trying to come together and you can just see instantly, you know, some friction points, whereas right. that time, energy and focus could be spent on uh, them generating a bigger slice of the pie and from that slice of the pie, helping those at grassroots to grow the grain and people coming up behind them. That's right. where the energy should be in my yeah. not so humble view. All right. Yeah. And, the thing that I really would like to know, and I may put this out to maybe get an anonymous survey response from the players, what is it that the WTA actually does for you today? What does the ATP do for you today? Meaning, how do you benefit? How are they serving you? Because they ought to be serving you as they, the organization that they are, because once again, they don't exist without you. There's no need for either one of these organizations without the players. So what do they do? What are they not doing that they ought to be doing? What does each one do particularly well? What does each one need to improve on? Then taking a look at those lists and going, maybe we pull together a hybrid and say the ATP is particularly good at this. And this could benefit the WTA, you know, immensely if they were just able to put this in place. Conversely, the WTA has done this one initiative that has been hugely successful. I mean, one of their campaigns I've always loved the most, I don't know if it was particularly successful, as strong as beautiful. That was one of my favorite campaigns that they ever put out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a marketing aspect, certainly, to these. Player promotion, hopefully a player nurturing and protection and education to some degree. Are they educating them about finances? And, and hey... Don't go blow all of that big first check that you make when you have your first big win because you still need to pay taxes. You need this, you need that. You know, maybe you want to sock it away. One of my, and, and playing on the word sock, one of my favorite conversations actually with Jack Sock okay. was when he did win the Paris Masters. His father's a financial advisor. And I asked him, what did you do with that check? Did you go buy something funny? He said, heck no. My dad's a financial advisor. I know not to waste my money. That thing, yeah, he invested it. And, you know, that's a smart decision. 
for a young yeah. player to not be frivolous and, you know, go buy a Porsche or, you know, whatever, just because you can, right? And uh, saves the money for a rainy day because we know that these don't, these wins don't come every day. Um, so, you know, all of those aspects, you know, legally, um, how to deal with the media and the press, you know, managing your image, managing social media, right? I, I know there is some aspect to that. And I sometimes believe that the reason why, in particular on the men's side, uh, are, they are so strong, still the big four, big five, big six, maybe, um, is because they're older, the yeah. whole influence of getting trashed on social media and raked over the clothes and berated just doesn't even phase them. I'm getting some weird feedback, sorry. Um, you know, it just, it, it doesn't matter to them. So psychologically, they don't even have to deal with that. And, you know, Rafa said to a question I'd asked him, he said, you know, look, I do it. I'm not going to go against social media because, again, it's part of the system that we're in right now. But basically, at the end of the day, I don't care. You're not going to find me on there. I'm not, you know, out there tweeting every day and all of these things. Now, granted, he's jumped on Instagram with Roger recently. And I think it's great because it's real. It's live. And they control the message. Yeah. It's their story. And I love that the players are doing that. But I often wonder how much of the duress of social media and these beatings, emotional beatings that these young players get. And again, young players, teenagers who are fragile, whose self-esteem isn't fully vetted, who don't have quite the resilience yet to not let that bother them so much. Is that also another factor? Because it, it's, a, it's a loud voice that can be crashing in your head. And also if you're spending time on social media, reading these things, and maybe even potentially going out there and defending yourself verbally and getting into battles with people, that's time you're not focusing on your game, your craft, your profession. It's a distraction and a bad one. So yes. just a thought there. Yeah. And, but on the converse side, the bigger your social media following, the more kind of you know, power or negotiation you have. Right. Or you're likely to attract sponsorship, etc. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It's Always sewer, is. It's a sewer pit <laughs> that can, you know, bring you to, to clear, clean waters and, and other things, but you have to wade through the sewage, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. So, all right. So next fun question. Maria Sharapova. I'm just curious your thoughts on whether she will get involved in support of this lower pay initiative. And the reason I ask is just she popped into my head immediately as, okay, here's an immensely successful player, athlete, multi-conglomerate businesswoman who started from incredibly humble beginnings with her father famously coming over with her, working three or four jobs, as she's spoken about. Um, so she has the history for this to resonate in some way with her life and her experiences. So what do you think on that? Would she do it? Should she do it? Just oh, fun wow. curious to your thoughts. I love your fun questions. Um, well, part of, part of me says she's been fighting all her life. Mm -hmm. from very young uh, through, you know, everything. I don't have to go through, but you can see she's been fighting every day of her life. And now she's retired. Mm -hmm. So half of you can go, she's just gone, whew, no more fighting. I can just get on with my life and create a life now. Mm -hmm. uh, on, on the other hand, you can say, 
fighting is in her DNA and she's going to look behind her and go, yeah, yeah, I know your struggles. I was part of them. I happen to have been very successful. Uh, I'm going to, you know, use my voice to make life easier for you because it's unequal and unfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and interestingly, Savan, her coach, former coach, uh, you know, is actually quite vocal right now. I'm following him on LinkedIn and another and pl- other places where he's, you know, doing calls and posting information and articles and things like that uh, on the the coaching layer within the sport. So it, it's yeah. interesting. I'd be curious, you know, I mean, I can see both sides. One of it is, why do I want to jump into a battle? Because it is a battle to some degree. Um, on the other hand, do do I have a moral obligation, right? That whole statement of to, to those who much is given, much is expected, right? Um, you know, where, yeah. where does she fall on the side of the belief in karma and, and that sort of stuff? Yeah. And it's not a criticism whatsoever. I'm just curious, and I think it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Then I also step back and go, you know, she's a really, really, really smart businesswoman. Um, will she take her time and eventually come around to this because becoming involved at the right moment, at the right time, at the right level of momentum maybe yeah. exactly where she's sitting right now and saying, I'm going to talk to my legal team, I'm going to talk to my marketing team, and we're going to strategize where and when does this make sense for me. So we'll be interesting yeah. to watch. Yeah, and you touched on something we haven't covered yet so far, which is the coaches yes. that are also part of the journey and also have the same you know, hand-to-mouth uh, precarious existence and for both of them not so much coaches but particularly the players you dedicate uh, a few decades of your life and for whatever reason injury not good enough uh, age you get spat out the other side and then how are you prepared to create a life that other people have spent decades creating but no You've been on the journey, you've been on the grindstone, you've been hitting the balls, you've been doing the traveling, you've been doing this. And now, when you're tired and exhausted, you go, okay, create your own. Well, who helps? Who has helped shape and train you whilst you're in the sport so that you have a platform to go and create a life afterwards rather than just start 25 years late? Right. Perhaps I'm just parking out the wrong tree, but it just seems, you know, as a union, WTA and ATP, that's what you would do for your members, wouldn't it? It's, it's, it's what you would do. You would think. You would think. So, all right, well, we're going to wrap up and, as you said, bring on the really, no offense, fun guy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> Javier. Um, you're welcome to stay on the line, of course. I know you guys, uh, you know, have a have a great I will relationship. Stay for a while. And... Yeah, I'll stay for a while. Um, okay. Great. All and right. Then I'll just, so. And well. we get can we get uh, specific uh, dates and times for that summit? Yeah, August the 28th and 29th. And, and then time zone. Oh, sorry. Uh, time zone in American time zone. Uh, and it's timed whether the U.S. Open goes ahead or not, wherever it goes ahead. It would have been the little bridge between the qualifying and the main draw. So it will be in American time zone. <laughs>